Welcome to Your Province, Your Premier. Heard on QR Calgary and in Edmonton on 630 Chad. I'm Wayne Nelson, your host and moderator. Joining me in studio today, Premier Danielle Smith and Environment Minister Rebecca Schultz. If you have a question, a concern, something on your mind for the Premier or the Environment Minister, phone or text, but a big reminder, please keep those questions or texts as short as possible. All right, Premier Smith, Minister Schultz, Welcome to the show today. Thanks, Wayne. I'm so glad that uh, Minister Schultz is here with me. We call her in our cabinet the Stephen Guibault Whisperer. It's her job (laughs) to try to figure out whether we can find some common ground with the federal environment minister. She's met with him a couple of times, so I'm I'm glad she's here. She'll take all the hard environment questions. You're going to have a lot of of secret whispering to to look after with Stephen. (laughs) Now, I've got my usual questions off the top before we head to the phones and text line. So here's what's on my agenda today. I want to talk about the DynaLife announcement this week. Forest fires, logging in K country, and if we have some time, the agriculture disaster in southern Alberta. Now, I know the DynaLife story is important, and I'm sure our callers will have more to say, and I'm looking at the, at the board right now, and that's the, uh, the first question on the board. But I want to start our show by talking about the devastation caused by forest fires. Not only what's happened in Alberta, of course, but the scenes of utter devastation coming from Kelowna, the evacuation of the entire city of Yellowknife, 85 wildfires are currently burning in Alberta, taking the total so far this year to 975. Now, that's off the uh, Alberta government website. B.C., under a state of emergency, a number of homes have been destroyed in West Kelowna from that raging fire that's also destroyed the historic Okanagan Lake Resort. Alberta has been taking in refugees from the Yellowknife evacuation. So my question is, what is the Alberta government doing in terms of, number one, helping fire evacuees, and number two, Looking forward to our changing climate conditions in terms of future fire prevention. Now, I'm asking about policy change in terms of forest management, increasing resources, maybe acquisitions of more water bombers, etc. There, there's lots to, to answer on yeah. that. So first of all, we are we are great neighbors to a new, new, uh, Northwest Territories and British Columbia, and we want to make sure that they know that we are here for them. So I've asked my ministers who are responsible for forest firefighting, that's Todd Lowen, as well as emergency response, that's Mike Ellis, to reach out to their counterparts and just say, Anything we can do, we're here for you. So we are already bringing in patients from their hospitals. There's four hospitals that had to be evacuated in Northwest Territories, bringing in long-term care patients, bringing in, there's also an inmate transfer as well. Yeah, and I think so, it was 85 inmates or yeah, something. So like those that. are the things that we are doing immediately. Plus, uh, as you saw, as always, Calgary and Edmonton stepped up right away with the evacuation centers, as did those in uh, Peace Country, as well as in in high level, just to be able to provide that, that uh, comforting place where somebody can get registered, where they can get access to a hotel and then where they can get regular updates. We've uh, set up again our dedicated line for those who are, are, are here with us in Alberta, 310-4455. So any evacuee can call that number and be able to get connected to services that they might need, get connected to information that they might need. I've also sent a note to uh, Premier Cochran and asked her if she wants us to facilitate a town hall with any of her residents as well. We we did that effectively, I think, during our fires because when people are disjointed and disjointed, uh, displaced they they want to know know what's going they want to know what's going on so we're prepared to do all of that. As I understand it, uh, Todd had told me that we have sent up equipment and supplies into uh, Northwest Territories. We're prepared to do more as well. We have this Canadian Interagency Fire 
uh, forest fire agency that does a um, uh, request and also helps facilitate movement of uh, trained forest fires across the across the country. So we've got four water bombers in the Northwest Territories and two in in uh, the B- in BC, and we have been watching their requests through this uh, fire in this interagency firefight firefighting center. We also have 180 firefighters from other countries currently in Alberta, and they're continuing to do the work of getting the hot spots uh, put out because remember some of these hot spots can go on for months and so we need to make sure that we don't end up with an additional danger here but surely we'd be happy to redeploy them to higher um higher need in those two uh jurisdictions if we're asked to do that okay minister schultz um to the point about future policy change in terms of forest management has this climate change that we've been experiencing the last few years affected the government's policy in terms of forest management and will it continue? You know, I I would say what we're seeing here, it's been a very hot, dry summer here in Alberta. And, uh, you know, I don't need to tell Britons that we we saw that with our own wildfire season starting a little bit earlier than anticipated. Uh, Right now, our priority in the Ministry of Environment is working through uh, some water management. Obviously, you mentioned you're going to want to talk about agriculture in in southern Alberta as well a little later in the show. And so um, that's impacted by our water management as well. We're working with uh, the Minister of Forestry and and Parks on this because we know that uh, forestry management is a key piece in terms of minimizing what we're seeing in terms of uh, wildfire damage. We also, you know, have really been focusing on making sure the public is aware uh, and cautious of their own public activity at times when uh, our province is is seeing dry conditions like we have this summer. Premier, did you want to speak more specifically about uh, forestry as well? well? Yeah, one of the things that I've talked to Todd about is how big do f- these fire guards and fire breaks need to be around communities? Because one of the things that we did during our fires is that we built two emergency fire breaks, one to be able to de- defend the community of Little Smoky and the other to defend the uh, southern border of Grand Prairie. And so we've got a lot of, of crown-managed land, crown-owned land under forest. And if you can create a significant enough fire break so that it goes into grass or bare soil, then you're able to, to, to have a fighting chance when, uh, when a fire is moving. And so Todd is, is going to be bringing forward a proposal to environment, and they'll have to work together to make sure that we can get the approvals done. Because in an emergency, you can get those done very quickly. The normal course of action, it takes two to three years. And, and if we're going to have these kind of fire seasons, every year we're going to have to make sure that every single community that needs a fire guard or a fire break around them is able to do that what we're seeing especially with uh, some of these gusts of wind and how far the sparks can fly they'll probably need to be significant and and that's going to be a conversation we have to have with the public but safety has has got to to work hand in glove with environmental protection It, it doesn't help the environment either if all of these beautiful stands of forest burn up and it destroys habitat and displaces animals. So we, we've got to make sure that we're managing them as well, not only for, for people, but also for, for long-term environment issues as, all, as all well. All right. Let's uh, turn to the phones. We can get to uh, some of my other questions throughout the show, but uh, I want to hit to the phones right now. Justin is calling in from Edmonton. Uh, good morning, Justin. You've got a question regarding DynaLife, which was on my agenda, but you take it. Good morning, Premier Danielle Smith and Environment Minister Rebecca Schultz. Hi, Justin. Good morning, Justin. Hi. 
my question is uh, my question is regarding the recent INLF announcement. Do you believe that there was a failure of due diligence, considering that we that we terminated the agreement with Alberta Precision Laboratories to hand the lab contract to Dynalife, they weren't able to deliver, and in the end, we have to revert back to Alberta Precision Laboratories. So do you do, so do you feel that there was a, a failure of due diligence to ensure that this vendor could meet its performance obligations? Well, there there was a failure of due diligence somewhere, and we have to figure out what went wrong in the contracting process. Uh, we had every reason to believe that Dynalife would be able to expand their services because they were already performing very well in North uh, in. Edmonton and, and Northern Alberta. And I think as we were looking at contracting out, unfortunately, there was only one bidder and that that may have uh, should have perhaps been the early warning sign to us that per, perhaps there was something more we needed to take a look at. Because if you only have one bidder, that could be a sign that there's uh, something not quite economic about it. And then when uh, the when the, when everything went through and they began the operation, they, they immediately had problems. I, I think that I've been fairly frank about that, that we have performance contract measures that are were written right into the contract that uh, they just weren't living up to. It's part of the reason why we had to add additional appointments uh, a few weeks ago. And this is where we find ourselves, that uh, Dynalife has made the determination that they um, want to exit this market. And so we, we came uh, to a mutual agreement that Alberta Precision Labs will take that over for now. I mean, keep in mind, I, I don't believe that having a single provider of any service, whether it's government or private, is necessarily going to be optimal. We're, we're already in the process of looking at Alberta Health Services and seeing how problematic, how problematic it's been to concentrate everything into a single health super board. And we're, we're working on decentralization. So I would look at this as a, a step to stabilize the system, Make sure all the staff know we value them and we're making sure every single one of them has a place. We want to make sure patients know that they're going to get the diagnosis and the treatment that they need. And then we'll, we'll look forward about, uh, about our contracting and, and do, it, uh, do it better when we, when we start looking at ways to involve the, the private sector in the future. I wanted to pick up where uh, Justin left off, but we're going to take a break first. We'll come back to the uh, Dynalife issue when we return. I'm Wayne Nelson. I'll be back with Premier Danielle Smith and Environment Minister Rebecca Schultz. More of your calls and texts when we return on your province, your premier. If you're just joining us today, you are indeed listening to your province, your premier. Throughout the summer, the show has been heard every other Saturday morning for listeners throughout Alberta in Edmonton on 630 Chad here in Calgary on QR Calgary. Today, Environment Minister Rebecca Schultz joins Premier Danielle Smith. Just before the break, we were talking about the Dynalife announcement. Uh, Justin from Edmonton had, had posed a good question. I want to follow up on that. Uh, let's talk about costs of this agreement. Can you comment at this time? We're, I mean, look, we, we have to buy back some of the assets that uh, we, we ended up transferring over to Dynalife. That's going to cost money because, and they've done some investments in capital and machinery. That's going to cost money. If we're going to take all of that back, it's only fair that we compensate them for those assets. So that's one thing that has to be worked out. But let's be frank. I mean, whether Dynalife was performing the service or Alberta Precision Labs, there's just a certain amount of built-in costs whether for your for your labor for the test itself for the processing those are those would be equivalent no matter who's doing it so uh, we'll, it will ultimately come down to a negotiation the f- final transfer happens in December they're still talking that through uh, but the uh, the important thing for us is that we had seamless service 
for those who need the diagnostic because you cannot get treatment if you don't get the diagnosis. And that leaves people feeling unsettled. It leaves them feeling nervous. It leaves them feeling scared. And we can't have that. That's got to be the number one priority. And we also know that there's been a lot of turmoil for our frontline staff. They just got put, were put through so much in the last few years that we wanted to create an environment of stability. So those are have been our overriding goals. But the, the, the vast bulk of the spending is spending that would happen anyway because we have a, a service to provide and we're going to provide it. The issues with Dynalife were identified early by AHS. My understanding is that the negotiation started uh, sh- shortly after uh, Dynalife took over from Precision Labs. So is this a lesson learned? It is a lesson learned. Um, I would say the one lesson I've learned is that if you do any kind of RFP and you only get one bidder, maybe you've got to sharpen your pencils and do another RFP. You you should always have multiple bidders because if it's a product worth buying, there should be a lot of people wanting to buy it. The, uh, the other thing I learned is that uh, it's, it's very difficult if you have a, a single source of any contracting government. You, ha- you have to be able to have backup. And the, the fact that we had Alberta Precision Labs able to still be in operation and lend a hat, I think that that's been able to help us add the extra number of appointments. And so we don't want to be in a position where we're sole sourcing anything. Um, so those are the kind of things that I've learned. And we also have to figure out where... The due diligence went wrong. Why Why is it that uh, when Dynalife was looking at the numbers, why did they think it could make it work and uh, and be able to save money? And then when it turned out, when they were actually operating it, it uh, the, those savings uh, just uh, disappeared. Those are the kind of things we have to ask the questions Com- complicated about. Complicated issue for sure. What's your response to the NDP's characterization of, characterization of this as a reckless experiment of privatization? Look, I, I, I didn't make the decision. I um, was watching it along with everyone else. I was hopeful that it would work. I had every reason to believe it would work uh, because they had done a good job up in northern Alberta. Uh, but I'm also in a, a position where when something isn't working, I, I have to do something about it. This is this is too serious for, for us to, to have let this drag on for too long. And since Dynalife was prepared to make a, an arrangement with us to return those services, Alberta Precision Labs was pre- prepared to take them over. It just seemed like this was the most elegant way for us to get out of a bad situation and make sure that workers were protected and also the, uh, the frontline patients were protected. All right. Lots of environment questions on the text line and we're going to start uh with the phones first of all with an environment question so minister schultz this will probably be headed your way uh willie is uh on the phone from sangudo and he's got a logging question for you go ahead willie you're on with uh minister rebecca schultz yeah hi uh recently i heard uh we've cleared more forests in canada than they've than they've done in the rainforest of the Amazon. I mean, looking at the conditions of our forest, with the unreal amount of deforestation happening, as well as the wildfires and diseases devastating our trees, are you still planning on opening and allowing the lumber industry to continue logging and clear-cutting? And and are you going to approve new projects like Bragg Creek and Tananaskis come to mind? There's probably many others. You know, to answer your question, and I think Premier touched on this uh, a little earlier in the show, that we've been uh, working with the Ministry of Forestry and Parks. They're the primary lead on this, but they're looking at the use of fire breaks to protect communities in Alberta. Obviously, that's something that has been top of mind for Albertans, given all that we've seen uh, in this wildfire season. So a hugely important part of that work is making sure that we understand the impacts of fire breaks. Um, of course, from an environmental perspective, that means looking at the impacts on biodiversity and animals and understanding how and where we can use fire breaks in a way that takes into account 
any environmental impacts, of course. So Minister Lewin and myself will be looking carefully at that balance and how best to strike that balance between, of course, stewarding our environment, protecting our environment, and protecting communities from fire risk. Premier, is there anything that you want to add on that Well, I, I, I wanted to jump in if, if, yeah, if I could. So Willie raised a good point about the clear-cut logging. There's a lot of uproar about clear-cut logging plans in Kananaskis. There's an 1,100 hectare stretch of forest along the Highwood River. What's the government's position on the call to stop all logging in K country and reevaluate this agreement with Spray Lake Sawmill. Oh, we're not going to stop all logging. I mean, if you're looking at it from a climate change perspective, when we talk about nature-based solutions and planting trees and growing trees, the the the, the forest industry and the forest management agreements are the areas that are net negative when it comes to carbon sequestration because they steward the the, the land and then they um, they harvest the wood. The wood gets embedded in the construction materials and then they're able to replant. So forestry is absolutely a essential if we want to to be able to to reach our carbon neutral goals by 2050. It's it, important though where the clear-cut logging takes sure. place. You don't want to be impacting uh, erosion and and things of that nature. Sure I, I, and, I, and I agree but I think that for good forest management practices allow for us to manage our landscapes and this is one of the things I'll, I'll, I'll have um, Minister Schultz talk about this because we we have done some land the Land Stewardship Act and the land use planning we are, are supposed to be building plans on every single one of our, our watersheds. We, we haven't completed that work. It, it began, I think, 15 years ago. But I've asked uh, Minister Schultz if she can accelerate that because we need to do exactly that. We need to identify the areas that are pristine, that need to be managed for erosion and water and biodiversity and habitat protection. But we also need to develop the go zones so people know where they can have, where they can, can harvest timber, where they can build campgrounds, where we can have ski hills. I mean, part of the, the reason we're seeing uh, Banff get overrun, um, we're, get, we're seeing uh, Lake Louise get shut down is because we don't have enough places for people to enjoy our mountain parks. We can do both. I'll, I'll turn it over to, to uh, Minister Schultz to, to elaborate on the process she's going to go through there. Yeah, and Premier's exactly right. This was something that was in my mandate letter is let's work together to move these plans forward at, at a much quicker pace than they have over the last probably 10 years or so. And, you know, I think obviously the challenge is that um, there are lots of different perspectives when it comes to land use planning, but we do have a responsibility on behalf of Albertans to steward and protect our lands, but to make sure that we can develop in a sustainable way. And so uh, we are committed to working with, and it's not just the uh, Minister Lowen in forestry, um, but also uh, the Minister of Tourism, uh, Agriculture, energy, right? And so uh, this is, I think, an interesting time to be in this file to look at all of the things that we're faced with, whether it be wildfires, where it be, whether it be irrigation, whether it be forestry, whether it be our rapidly growing um, population and meeting the demands of that rapidly growing population. So will you be re-examining the agreement with Spray Lake Sawmills? You know, as Premier said, we've got to continue to support uh, the forestry industry, but land okay. use planning is going to be key to making any development uh, decisions, and we're going to try to get to a decision on most of those plans, whether it's yes, whether it's no. Let's get there quickly and provide some certainty for whatever industry uh, we're looking at. Because keep in mind, only 0.5% of Canada's to total store, tourist, uh, forest inventory is harvested every year, 0.5%. We are already protecting 99.5%. So we've got to make sure that the 0.5% that we do harvest is is done in the inappropriate way. The other thing I'd just say though, Wayne, is that our forest stands last about 60 to 100 years. 
And then the trees die, they deteriorate, and they become tinder dry. And so if we can do a better management, understanding that forests need to have the turnover, then we can have a healthy industry. The industry can play a role in making sure that we're targeting the stands that need to be removed so that they aren't a fire hazard, so that we can um, make sure that that wood is is uh, put to good use, and that we can also start replanting so that we can start that carbon cycle going again. So we're, we're going to be asking Albertans to keep an open mind about this, that that uh, we, if we're going to be managing our, our landscapes to the best value that does mean that we're going to have forestry in some areas all right text message now uh regarding wind farms the texture says they're currently trying to build a wind farm on the doorstep of waterton lake national park these wind turbines are going to be taller than the calgary tower i'm not against wind turbines but they're building in the wrong place this seems like a reason the government needs to pause and look at things closer in land use and eventually the cleanup uh what's your current plan to deal with situations like this now i believe that there is already a, a moratorium that, that was announced earlier this year. Yeah, so that's exactly why uh, we're doing this pause. It's six to seven months. Obviously, when we look at Alberta, we are an innovative entrepreneurial province. 75% of the renewable investments in Canada last year were in Alberta, and I think largely because of that entrepreneurial spirit. But when you see an industry growing so quickly uh, without a lot of the parameters in place to manage the concerns that have been raised by the public, um, that has raised concerns for us. So some of the, the biggest concerns, affordability, of course, uh, of power for Albertans, reliability of our grids that, you know, in the middle of January, in the middle of the night, if you're a parent of young children, you go to flip on that switch, you have power, you have lights. Um, that was a huge concern, liability and reclamation. What does this look like? And then also, where are we building uh, this infrastructure? Because there have been concerns about uh, renewable infrastructure being placed on high value irrigated agricultural land. I mean, Alberta has a huge role in, in meeting the world food security demands. Uh, but then uh, also, so there's impacts on biodiversity. So um, the bat population, this has been a concern, the bird population, other animal populations, this is something that my ministry will be looking at as part of this six to seven month pause. Uh, I think this is the best time to do this work, to get this right, so that in six, seven months down the road, we have some certainty uh, and some parameters for this industry to continue to grow. Yep. All right. and that, goes, but that goes back to the whole land use planning as well. Let's find the right places for us to site wind turbines and solar panels. And I, I want people to understand why farmers are very concerned about the reclamation aspects of a wind turbine. I was meeting with one uh, uh, company that does the concrete laying for the base for those turbines. Remember, they're the size of the Calgary Tower. It yeah. needs a pretty big base. He, he told me it's 850 cubic meters of cement that he is pouring for each wind turbine. And a wind farm sometimes has as many as 50 of those. I said, well, what do you think it would cost to be able to, to, to dig that all out? He said $200,000 alone just to be able to get all that concrete out, transport it, and get it landfilled. And so if you're looking at, uh, I've seen estimates of $500,000 per turbine for, for reclamation. You've got tw you know, 50 turbines. That's a $25 million reclamation project. There, there, there is that, that there, I don't think I've ever seen even one of our worst well sites uh, uh, come to that level of reclamation. I think the highest well site cleanup I've heard is $5 million. So what are we doing to make sure money is set aside so that when those come to the end of the natural life, there's money there to be able to reclaim it so that the landowner isn't left holding the tab? That's the other consideration that we have as well. All right, back to the phones. Gene calling in from Strathmore with an electricity transmission question. Go ahead, Gene. You're on with Premier Smith and Minister Schultz. 
Yeah, good morning, Premier Smith. Um, I was just wondering, what's the difference, like I'm looking at my bill, and what's the difference between transmission and distribution? And did we not, as taxpayers, pay for these transmission lines already? The electrical companies should be paying us to use them. Thanks for that. So if you think about how the system works, there's the generators. So that's the, the wind or the solar or the natural gas or the hydro. And then there's a big transmission line that takes it from the source of the generation to a station where then it gets distributed. So the transmission is the big lines that we need to get it to a centralized collection point. And then the distribution is getting it out to your individual home or your individual business. So there's two different companies that uh, typically do those types of services. And then it all gets gathered together on your power bill and you've got a number of different providers. I think there's 28 different providers that you could be using. Most folks in Calgary use NMAX, most folks in uh, Edmonton use EPCOR, but there's also Direct Energy and ATCO and various others. And so the, 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 the problem that we've had and we're, we're, we're contemplating looking at this policy, is that um, any in, in, a, in most of our municipalities, I'll try to draw an analogy, in most of our municipalities, when a, when a new subdivision gets developed, it's the job of the developer to make sure that they're connected to the existing services. And that has to be factored into the cost of the homes. And it's the, the idea that if you're going to grow, you're the one who has to pay for it. We don't do that with transmission. Someone will uh, propose a project and it can be thousands, it can be hundreds of kilometers away from the existing system. And as soon as that's approved, all of us have to pay for the transmission line to get it hooked up to the grid. And that's part of the reason I think we've overbuilt our transmission system. And it's part of the reason why we're seeing these escalating costs on your transmission and distribution portion of your power bill. There was a, a different approach that was taken in the past where the generator had to pay at least half the cost to get hooked up to the grid because then that happened but then what happens is the generator says oh gee maybe i better locate closer to where the existing lines already exist and that's and that's the conversation that we need to have because and, and we, that ties we, in with the uh, uh question on the text line as well. Could you please ask the Premier why Alberta's electricity rates have increased 128% in one year compared to 12% in Saskatchewan? Alberta also has the highest price per 75 kilowatt hours. Why is this? We deserve to know the truth and that is uh, from Kevin. We certainly do and that's why I've got my electricity minister and Nathan Newdorf working on that. One of the things that changed a few years ago is this uh, concept of economic withholding. It's a complicated uh, topic to raise but essentially it allows for generators to hold back a little bit of the power so that the price goes up so that they can sell it at a price that uh, allows them to make money and when we looked at this before we never used to allow this when they looked at it in 2020 the uh, the the market surveillance administrator didn't think that there was a problem and so they said well this is a legitimate uh, practice and now what we have seen is unfortunately I think too much power is being held back prices are escalating too much and we're all paying the price for it so we've begun the conversation of how we address that because we we have a, a problem with the market design there's no question about it when when the regulated rate option surges to 32 cents a kilowatt hour that's a sign that something's broken when distribution and transmission charges are the highest charge on your bill, higher even than your electricity charges, that's a, a, a sign that something's broken. And we're working right now not only on the pause so that we can uh, get good policy around wind and solar, adding them to the grid, doing reclamation, but we're looking at these other aspects as well because we need to have reliable power. We need to have affordable power. That's got to be one of the, the things that uh, draw people here as an Alberta advantage. And uh, right now, it's, it's not the case, and we're going to make sure that we address it. All right, let's uh, flip 
subjects. Uh, Bill is calling in from Calgary with a water resources and food question. Go ahead, Bill. Yeah, thanks very much for taking my call. Uh, Premier years facing some real challenges over the next few years, and one of them has to be uh, resources for water, especially with the way our population is growing. And I'm just wondering if your government has any plans. I know Lougheed had a 50-year plan. I don't know what happened to that. But if your government has any plans as to increasing their water resources somehow. And the second thing is uh, food production. I'd read an article a few years back that said that we import about 90% of our food, so costs are, are subject to uh, currency fluctuations and uh, with inflation and everything else. And uh, I noticed that a lot of our, our food comes from Eastern Canada, especially dairy products. I'm wondering if, if your government is looking at, uh, at that issue as well for our province. Thanks very much for taking my call. Well, I'll, I'll get started on the water uh, topic here, and then I'll hand it over to Premier to talk about some of the things happening in, in agri-foods, because I know she likes to talk about all of the investments that are happening here in Alberta uh, at this exciting time. So when it comes to water, uh, of course, it has been a hot, dry summer, and we have seen a number of our river basins in south and central Alberta in shortage conditions. So th- this has happened before. Uh, obviously, our ministry's approach is to work with uh, whether it be municipalities and the irrigators to manage uh, through our water allocations and making sure that we are not using more water than we need. Uh, of course, in Calgary right now, uh, we see that they've escalated to stage one of the water shortage management plans. So uh, restricting some of the water that people are using on their lawns, for example, uh, so that, again, we're not using more than we need. Um, we have seen those shortage advisories in place right now across four major river basins. And uh, to your exact point, so what do we do next uh, to help us address those, not only in the short term, but in the long term? And there's a couple of things here. Um, one is we're we're allocating funding to flood and drought resilience programs across the province. So to date, we've invested $43 million to these projects. This year alone, that's $3.5 million into 22 projects to help with restoring riverbanks, wetlands, stream banks, and drainage. So this helps um, really increase the natural capacity of the watersheds to reduce the intensity and duration and effects from both flooding and droughts. On the other hand, we need to look at our long-term water infrastructure. We need to do that in, a, I would say, a little bit more expedited way than what we've seen in the past. Uh, we need to look at dams. We need to look at storage. We need to look at the opportunities for hydro. Uh, again, uh, look at our, our water licenses and make sure that we're using the allocations that we have, um, that we're not allowing additional water to flow out of our province uh, when we could be using that, especially in times of drought. Um, and, and then just making sure that we are, are managing those current water licenses uh, effectively. So, I just want to interrupt if you could. Yeah, you you touched on drought, and drought is, has hit southern Alberta big time. I think yeah. three out of the past four years, it's been a big issue. Uh, a lot of farmers have appealed to the federal government, and the, some of the people say, look, we're being ignored. What can the Alberta government do to help get on side with those farmers to address the the federal liberals or look at uh, an in-province uh, situation? Uh, I can tell you that our Ag Minister, R.J. Sigurdsson, was at a meeting with his counterparts just last week, and we're working with the federal government and our counterparts to to find a, a, a um, an insurance program that will cover more of those uh, those hectares that uh, have been impacted. There's a lot in my area in Brooks Medicine Hat. Yeah. 
And so that that is going to be an, an announcement, we hope, with the federal government in the in the coming days and weeks. We already do have an agri-stability program that allows for us to, to, to manage um, crop insurance around these kinds of incidents. And so I'll, uh, I'll leave it to RJ once he gets to the, the finish line on, on that. We also have our agriculture ministry working on irrigation too. So there are projects that we're looking at down south that would allow us to put more land under irrigation. And um, Minister Schultz will know that uh, I feel very strongly about us finding a solution on the bow that allows for multi-use. Let's find a way that we can get reservoirs on the bow, be able to use those reservoirs to do effective flood mitigation so that we don't end up with what we saw in the 2013 floods, maybe have some hydro on those, maybe run to the river hydro so that we've got uh, clean electricity as an option, then also be able to use those reservoirs for recreation like we do with Chestermere. Chestermere is actually part of the Western Irrigation Districts and it's become a beautiful um, uh, recreation area for the residents of that community. And then we can also use that water for use in Calgary and then also downstream. And so uh, the minister's in the process of assessing a number of sites for um, for that kind of solution on the bow. And um, I'm hoping that that can be accelerated too. I don't know if you want to have more you want to say about that. Well, and I think also on that front, you know, we'd like to see, and, and, and it's not just here in Alberta, but when I was meeting with the environment ministers across the country earlier this summer, uh, there was a very real need for water infrastructure. We would sure hope that the federal government would step up and provide some of the dollars that... Uh, uh, are needed not just in Alberta but across the country on that front. All right, Jeff has texted in uh, saying, uh, Premier Smith, I live in the special areas between Hannah and Brooks and was recently told there might be rolling natural gas blackouts this winter due to federal government restrictions on fossil fuels. Can you comment or confirm? This? No, that, that simply won't happen. We are not going to let people freeze in the dark in winter in our province. That's the reason why we're battling it out with Environment Minister Stephen Gibbeau. He's got no idea what he stepped into here. They have no jurisdiction over how we manage our resources, how we manage our power grid. That is all constitutionally under our jurisdiction. And he's being completely unrealistic. If we were to, to implement the, uh, the the clean electricity regs that he has put forward, we would end up having to, uh, we wouldn't be able to add any new additional uh, unabated natural gas to the grid by January of 2025. All the projects would have to have already been built. Um, when you look at the the the, uh, the the cost associated with trying to to phase out uh, the emissions as early as he's talking about 2035, it would cost 1.7 trillion for the country, and we estimate 200 to 400 billion here. And then on top of that, we use natural gas for our home heating. Yeah, so and we've talked about this in the show before. In that uh, you said that uh, you're chatting with Doug Ford in Ontario. He said they're about, what, 85, 90% toward their goals, but that's because their electricity is generated from hydro. Hydro and nuclear. And I've yeah. talked to to, to, uh, to Premier Ford about the potential for these small modular reactors. He's quite keen on that. Uh, they, their uh, electric utility is developing that and, and working on, uh, on uh, international agreements. And if we can figure out a process here that is acceptable to the public to, to do a trial run on some of those, we're prepared to do that too. I we, find it interesting that Stephen Guibault is now on board and supported of a small nuclear reactor program in Quebec, uh, a, a program that he adamantly campaigned against isn't, years ago. Isn't that something? Well, it, maybe that shows some movement. Hey, uh, hey, Minister Schultz, maybe we'll be able to get him to understand that natural gas is also a clean energy solution, reduces emissions, will reduce global emissions as well. I, I have to tell you how infuriating it is 
to see that he is on some joint committee with a member of the Chinese Politburo going to China, talking about how they are still allowed to have two coal-fired plants a week coming onto their grid, and they have a 2060 target. Meanwhile, he's trying to grind Alberta's gears on getting off natural gas way too soon way, um, and not be able to provide a solution for China, as well as trying to do that by 2035. I mean, honestly, the, the members of his caucus have to understand how much division he is causing in the country. And uh, maybe that's a sign that there's a breakthrough coming, but we're going to keep on pressing it. All right, we're going to pause for a break. Lots of calls, lots of text messages. We're not going to be able to get to them all, but uh, we'll try to get to as many as we can when we come back. I'm Wayne Nelson with Premier Danielle Smith and Environment Minister Rebecca Schultz. We'll be back to wrap things up in our final segment on Your Province, Your Premier. Wayne Nelson back with you on Your Province, Your Premier. Your opportunity to speak with Premier Danielle Smith or Environment Minister Rebecca Schultz one-on-one. If you've got a specific question you'd like answers, the time to call is now. We do have a lot of phone calls to get to, and I want to get to uh, Kira uh, from Calgary. Kira's been hanging on for the whole show, Danielle, so uh, let's uh, hear from uh, Kira. Kira, go ahead. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Good morning, Premier Smith and Minister Schultz. My question is, as a parent who used compassionate intervention to get treatment for my teenage son to save his life from addiction, how can I support raising awareness on this initiative? Well, thank you for that. And I know that there are a number of of groups that have been able to to use that legislation. If you're under the age of 18, a parent is able to intervene and make sure that their child gets ordered into into treatment. And when we did our press conference over the summer talking about how we wanted to do compassionate intervention more broadly, one of the young people and one of the parents said, why isn't this available to all families? We, we want to be careful about it. We want to make sure that uh, we're, it's a last resort. We want to give uh, people every option to choose to go into treatment. But in the end, we, we just can't sit back and watch people kill themselves on the streets. Um, we, 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 this fentanyl crisis is worse than anything I've ever seen. And I've watched different phases of opioids come through our communities in the past. But fentanyl is just deadly. And it's one of those things that you're, you've got two pathways, one that leads to despair, maybe jail, um, heaven forbid, maybe death, and the other that leads to recovery. And it's our job as a community to make sure that we're giving that pathway for people to get into recovery as soon as we can. So that's what we're, we've got my ministers working on in the fall, is how do we, first of all, build out all of our recovery communities. We've got 11 of them that are in, the, in different phases of construction. The first one's done in Red Deer. We are putting recovery communities in all of our corrections facilities as well, so that anybody who's serving time can also get clean while they're in while they're in while they're imprisoned. And then the next step will be having a process where if somebody needs to be ordered into treatment, we can get an order from a from a judge and we can commence that process. So there'll be lots to talk about that in the fall once we put the legislation together. We'll want lots of feedback to make sure that we've got it right. But I think we're at a point where there there really isn't much more choice. All right, Daryl is phoning in from Diamond Valley. Yes, combination of Black Diamond and Turner Valley. It is now the official municipality name. Daryl, go ahead. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith and Environment Minister Rebecca Schultz. Good morning, ladies. My question is regarding you changed the speed limit when passing emergency vehicles on the highway. I think that was a big mistake. There should be, when you're passing an emergency vehicle on the highway, you should either slow down to 40 kilometers or drive according to the road conditions. I know the AMA and the fire chiefs of Alberta did not approve your 
change. As I mean, the, it's we got to respect those people that are working on the sides of the road. They're very important to us. So are you saying, Daryl, that let me uh, clarify you didn't what, do enough? Let me clarify what happened there. So first of all, we have always had uh, the requirement that if you're passing an emergency vehicle, fire truck, uh, ambulance, or a uh, or a police car, you have to slow down to 60 kilometers per hour on the lane right beside where they've pulled somebody over. We expanded that to include all emergency vehicles. So if there's construction vehicles that are stopped at the side of the road with their lights on. Tow truck. If there's tow trucks, yeah. we've expanded it. So you have to, sh- to slow down in that lane immediately beside anytime you see the lights flashing to 60 kilometers per hour. What, what we had to contemplate is whether all of the lanes should slow down to 60 kilometers per hour. And, we, and I drive Deerfoot a lot and I was thinking, how is that going to work? How is that even going to be policed? If you make every single lane as people are trying to, to move over, as, they, as they're trying to clear traffic, are we going to end up with more collisions and are we going to end up with more problems? So this is a first stage to make sure it works. If, um, if we need to revisit that, we will. But I, I think that the consi- consideration of cabinet was let's just do it in stages. Let's just make sure that uh, we do this first step so that anybody who has lights at the side of the road is going to be protected the same way our emergency vehicles are. And let's just make sure that we keep traffic flowing and we don't end up creating uh, more points of potential collision. All right. I wanted to get to this text. It's uh, we've, we've talked about this on the show before. The Premier has still not given the energy rebates to condo owners. It's well over six months uh, since she said she would get this done. When will we get this? $100,000 may not seem much to the UCP, but will go a long way for my condo association. If it was easy to do, we would have done it by now. And that's part of the problem is trying to figure out the uh, correct way of doing it so that it doesn't become taxable, so that it goes through as uh, a rebate to the individuals who need it. There's different uh, people who pay for their their, their uh, condo uh, electricity at the unit level there's others who pay for it through the condo board if it was easy we would have done it by now i I can tell you i've had now three ministers working on this dale nally was working on it and then uh, matt jones and now nathan newdorf has only been in the job a short time so i know that there's some frustration around this but uh, but he is still working on it and we'll see if we can get an answer um at at some point before we get into into the winter season i i know it's frustrating but um but there's a couple of models that we could potentially go on that i've directed the minister to uh one in medicine hat because Medicine Hat runs its own utility. They found out a way to be able to rebate to the condo boards, but uh, Minister Newdorf is still working on it. All right, D is texting in, uh, said, uh, Premier Smith, what is the solution for the outrageous, unaffordable rental prices in Alberta? Waiting two, three, four years for new bills does not solve the problem in the interim. Incomes over $20,000 a year don't qualify for low-income assistance. What is the immediate solution? We've got to build more affordable housing units. I'm watching with great interest what is happening at the uh, at the city of Calgary because they, they had a, a series of proposals that ended up failing just by one vote. And now I believe they're bringing it back and they're having a vote on September 14th, and they're asking us to do a bunch of things. And, and one of the things, I, if, I, if, if I'm going to summarize the things that I, I think will work the, the best, they're talking about we have a lot of land that is owned by government, making that land available on a long-term lease to those who want to build affordable housing units so that there's a, so the, the land value is not going to go into, into the, the cost of each unit. That's one thing. The second thing, is um, having a reprieve on property taxes. I know they're going to come to us with an ask that they'll reduce the property taxes and they want us to match them. That seems very reasonable as well on those affordable housing units. And then the third is the permitting process. 
that uh, if we're going to, to be building a new construction, new design, modular homes, higher density, we can't see these things caught up in two or four or six year delays. And so having the uh, changes to the Municipal Government Act to allow for them to make some faster decisions, especially in land around the LRTs where it makes perfect sense for us to build those up. Those are the, the things that I believe that they're asking us to, to assist them with. And if they pass that policy, then uh, we'll certainly work with them and, and work with other municipalities who want to do the same. So I'll be watching that. And if anybody wants to see that go ahead, they should contact their city council member because the vote is on September 14th. All right. Paul is calling in from Three Hills. This is going to be our, our last call. Paul, we got one minute. Go ahead. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Well, thank you, Danielle. Thanks for taking my call. I just wanted to approve that your moratorium on energy, renewable energy projects, we believe as landowners that there is no regulations in place to for the end of life. And we we're concerned that these these projects could be very libelous for the landowners. Well, thank you for that. I'll get Minister Schultz to comment on that because we've, you know, we've had to deal with this with other types of projects, and we we want to make sure that we're doing it right. There's there's no point in saying, oh gosh, we didn't know, and then 20 years from now we're ending up with a reclamation problem. All uh, right, Minister Schultz, you've got 30 seconds. Go. Yeah, you know, <laughs> formerly my role was Minister of Municipal Affairs. This was absolutely the top issue that I heard in the last probably seven eight months, and it was perspectives of municipalities. We had the ag industry, uh, you know, with concerns about. Uh, their high value land and of course um, for landowners and and so at that time we committed uh, on stage it was very public that we would have four to five ministries diving into this sooner rather than later and that's exactly what you're seeing now with this six to seven month pause all right premier smith minister schultz thank you for joining us today we uh, we're leaving with uh, still several calls unanswered and a ton of texts unanswered uh, we'll have to do it next time. You bet. Until next time. Thanks, Wayne. Premier Danielle Smith will be back for your province, your premier, on September 16th at this same time. That's the date of our next show, so make sure you've got it circled on your calendar. That's September 16th, and I'm sure there's going to be lots to talk about then. I'm Wayne Nelson. You've been listening to Your Province, Your Premier.